0: This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.
1: In Ephesians chapter 4, we'll start verse, in verse uh, uh, 20. Well, let's start in verse 31. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another. Isn't it interesting that God would have to tell Christians to be kind to each other? You would think that would be a given, but not necessarily so. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another even as and notice that phrase, forgiving one another even as. In other words, here's the example of forgiveness that we're supposed to operate in operate in. Forgiving one another even as. God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Now, we've talked about some different aspects of uh, forgiveness. We've uh, looked at what real forgiveness is. We've talked about the difference in forgiveness and uh, reconciliation and restoration. It would be great that every time that forgiveness is extended, reconciliation is made or restoration comes about. But that's not always the case. Sometimes that's not possible. Forgiveness is what is required of us, not reconciliation. Reconciliation is a two-way street. You can't reconcile with somebody that that won't reconcile with you. The Bible says that we've been reconciled to God through the work of Jesus, but it tells us to be reconciled to him. In other words, it's not just what God did for us through Jesus that makes the difference. It's our actions back toward him and receiving that sacrifice that Jesus made that brings us into a relationship with God. So reconciliation can't always be made. There are some cases, for example, that people have things against their parents who have now gone on to be with the Lord or or passed away. How can you reconcile with somebody that's already gone? There are times where reconciliation is not possible. It's certainly the goal. It's certainly what we should aim for, but it's not always possible. Today, I want to talk to you about something else as a part of the forgiveness of God. That, um, um, well, I hope it's a blessing to you. It's. Uh, it seems to me is is a little bit misunderstood, and that is forgiving and forgetting. It's one thing to forgive. It's another thing to forget. But what does the Bible say about forgiving and forgetting? Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter eight. We'll look at two. Uh, passages of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 8, and then we'll also look at chapter 10. And here's what he says, and we'll start in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10. It says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. So God forgets your sins. Turn with me over to chapter 10. Verse 16. This is the covenant. That I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Okay, so we could say then if we're supposed to forgive others as God has forgiven us, we're supposed to not remember anybody's sins or iniquities or the things they've done against us. That would make sense, right? However, we've got a little problem here. Because we know that Paul... Who wrote to the Ephesians that we're uh, to the Ephesians and also to us, by the Holy Spirit, that we're supposed to forgive one another even as God for Christ's sake, has forgiven us? That would mean to remember sins and iniquities and transgressions, things people have done wrong to us. Don't remember that any longer. We also know that Paul, and we'll look at this later on in the service, we also know that Paul told us in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he gave us the scriptures about the love of God, about how the love of God always thinks the best of people doesn't take into account any suffered wrongs and so forth. Well, that would mean then that we don't remember things that are done wrong to us, right? But then Paul, the same person, writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14, and he said, Alexander the coppersmith has done me much wrong. Or much harm the Lord reward him according to his works <laughs> he said in the first letter to Timothy speaking of people that had done him wrong and caused him problem in his ministry he talked about those that had blasphemed he said of which are Alexander and Hymenaeus whom I've turned over to Satan for the destruction of flesh that they might learn not to blaspheme any longer now the fact that he speaks of it again in Second Timothy and says that uh, Alexander the Coppersmith has done me much wrong, the Lord reward him according to his works, tells me that God doesn't always kill people as fast as we want him to. <laughs> what else could that mean? So here's the problem: We have to accept, or at least I choose to accept, that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write everything that he wrote. Otherwise, we're left to pick and choose what's God, what's Paul, and and then we're hopelessly confused because there's no way to know. But the Bible claims to be inspired by the Holy Ghost, and I believe that it is. So that means the same scripture that says that God forgives our sins and remembers them no more is the same Scripture that tells us, the same Word of God that tells us we're supposed to forgive others even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us, which means we shouldn't remember them anymore. But then we see Paul, the example, the one that Holy Spirit used to tell us these things, saying, I remember what people have done to me. How do these things reconcile? And folks, i got to tell you, a lot of the stuff that people come up with, this Christian um, religious idea of love, the love of God, that it's just supposed to be this sing-song, you know, soundtrack in the background type thing that's just um, syrupy sweet. That's not what I see happening. We see Jesus operating under the love of God and everything that he did, but he called things the way they were. He spoke directly into the face and and, and confronted people in situations, particularly the religious leaders, he called them hypocrites. He called them snakes. He called them whited sepulchers. He called them things that were the, the most uh, vile and offensive things to them according to the law of Moses. How can he do that in love? How can he be operating the love of God and do these things? Because so many times people in, in church circles, and it's never the person that's involved, but it's always somebody else giving you advice on how you ought to live. And they say, well, you need to forget that. You need to just forget all those things that have done, been done to you. You've got people that have been molested. You've got people that have been raped. You've got uh, situations of incest. And you've got other Christians, well-meaning that they may be. You've got other Christians that are telling them they need to forget these things. Well, should they? Really? I've seen people struggle with this. I've seen people come and say, Pastor Mike, I've forgiven. This terrible thing that happened and was done, and I've forgiven. But I just can't forget it. And it's like they're under this condemnation because they're supposed to forget. How do you forget something like that? Let's talk about what forgiveness and forgetting really means, okay? Turn back with me to uh, Romans chapter 4. Let's look at what the Bible really says about it. Romans chapter 4. There's a word that's used in here. This translated different things. We'll start in verse 3. It says, But what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. This word counted, I don't know how to pronounce it in the Greek, but it literally means to reckon. Now, I'm not talking southern. It means to reckon. This is a Greek word that means to reckon. It's also used... Uh, 11 times, total of 11 times in this chapter, the fourth chapter. Because Paul is trying to make a point throughout the whole chapter about God's attitude or God's action where reckoning is concerned. Now, the one I want you to see, or at least one of them I want you to see, is in verse 8. It said, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. This is the same word that's translated count in verse 3. It's the same word that means to reckon. To impute or to count. It's an accounting term. And it literally means this. It's uh, when I say it's an accounting term, it's, uh, it's, any of you have ever had uh, things audited? Or had, had maybe you had your taxes audited or you've been involved in a, a company situation that uh, that has annual audits done or something like that? An auditor comes in. We have an audit done, an annual audit done every year, and it stops everything in the office. And, and um, uh, you know we're at their beck and call, and have to do everything that they need us to do to provide the information that they need. And we keep our books in good order, so it's it's not an unpleasant experience for us—at least not as unpleasant as it could be. But in, in what really what happens is the auditors come in and they take our books. We provide uh, financial information and and do things on a regular basis, weekly basis, monthly basis. You know, we draw up reports any way that uh, that we want to do it with the software program that we use and so forth. But the auditors come in and they examine our books. And what they do is they examine what we say we have as an asset. They examine what we say we have as a liability. They examine what we claim as income and what we show as expenses. And what they do is they come in with a third-party, um, unbiased opinion. They're not supposed to be making judgments. They just come in and they examine everything that we have, and they say, this is what the books really are. They don't make a a judgment on this is what they've said they were and they were wrong, or this is what they should be saying. They just simply say, this is the condition, this is the state of the company. Now, what they do is this Greek word, reckon. They come in and make a reckoning of all the accounts. Now, the Bible says where God came in, God is the ultimate auditor. And God comes in and he sees What's on the asset side of our lives and the liability side of our lives. Now, folks, I've got to tell you, when God gets to us, not much on the asset side and a whole lot on the liability side. And that's what the Bible says. That Jesus has done for us he took our liabilities the sins that we personally committed the sins that were imputed to us or the sins that were counted to us because of Adam's original sin in the garden of, of, uh, of Eden and all those things are on the liability side of our ledger now he not only takes an accounting of it but his blood pays the debts so whereas when he first finds us we are debt laden His sin or his blood pays the debt for those sins, so he clears our ledger. Now that's what this means where it says, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. It literally means the the children of God are blessed because there is no liability in their life. Now, that's what the Bible speaks of as far as God paying the price for sin and separating us from our sins as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't just do some accounting maneuver to cover things up. He literally makes an accounting. This is an eternal accounting, whereas sin is no longer in your life. It's no longer a part of you. That's why the new birth is such a critical issue. Because you're not just kind of cleaned up. It's not just that God covers over the stuff that you've done. He makes you new. He separates you from sin. You literally are made righteous. He takes you from the death or the debt, the liability side of life that we are before Jesus. And he makes us a new creature in him. He literally makes you righteous. God doesn't just say you're righteous. You really are. And the eternal auditor has declared it so through the action of his son. So when it says that it was counted to Abraham as righteousness, it means as far as God was concerned is the real thing. When it says that the man that's blessed because sin is not imputed to him, it literally means there's no sin on your, in your life. You go to God and talk to him about sin, he doesn't know what you're talking about. Because you have been cleared of sin. Now that's what the Bible means when it says God remembers your sin no more. How could God forget? How is it possible for God to forget? Folks, it's not that God just says, okay, well, I know I could remember if I wanted to because I'm God, but I just choose not to remember. That's not what happens. He literally wipes sin away from your life so he has nothing to remember. It's a fact. It's just not one of these religious ideas. It's a fact that you have been freed from sin.
0: Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing.
1: The Bible says Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses on the cross. He was wounded. Isaiah 53.5 says he was wounded for your transgressions. That's sins. He was bruised for your iniquities. That's sins. The chastisement of your peace was upon him. That's provision. That's the penalty or the, uh, uh, the overcoming of the curse of poverty. And by his stripes you were healed. That's the overcoming of sickness. The Bible says in the same verse, the same verse that Jesus paid the price for your sins, he paid the price for your sickness. Now, if somebody was coming to get saved, We wouldn't expect him to pray all night to see if God would do it, would we? Why is it different with him? Jesus paid the same price at the same time.
0: Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to MikeWeb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled
1: lives through God's Word. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's start in verse 17. It's in verse 19 that I want you to see it. But let's start in verse 17. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, that means if he asks Jesus into his heart if he's born again. He is a new creature. Another translation says he is a new species of being. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. If somebody comes to the altar and gets saved, they may walk away from the altar looking the same way they looked when they came up, but they're a new species of being when they go back. Something's changed, and that something was the new man on the inside that has, born, that has caused them to be born again. The old man is gone. He died. He's replaced with the new man. One of the the most aggravating things that I hear people say is that, well, we're just sinners saved by grace. Speak for yourself, Buster. I am not a sinner. I was, but I was saved by grace. So I am not a sinner any longer. Well, does that mean you never miss it, Pastor Mike? No. Sometimes we miss it. Sometimes everybody misses it. We all do. We all stumble and fall. But the fact is, my stumbling and falling doesn't change the reality that I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. Verse 18, and all things are of God. These are all new things he's talking about, and all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. This word reconciled, this word uh, reconciliation means exchange. God made an exchange. Jesus paid the price for your sin. Jesus became sin, you became righteous. There was an equal exchange. Verse 19, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, making that exchange, not imputing. Here's this word impute. Here's this word reckon. Not imputing or counting their trespasses unto them and is committed unto us, the word of reconciliation. You know what the word of reconciliation or the word of exchange is? You know what the good news of Jesus is? God's wiped away the sin of the world for anybody that will accept it. God's not against you. The price has been paid. As far as God is concerned, the liability side of your life has been wiped out. All you have to do is accept the payment that was made, which was the blood of Jesus. And in so doing, you take advantage of everything that Jesus paid for. So in that sense, and you can readily understand how God remembers our sin no more. Sin is done away with once and for all. So why is Paul remembering Alexander and Hymenaeus? Why is, uh, why is Paul talking about the Lord rewarding him according to his works? That doesn't sound very Christian of him, does it? How's that possible? Turn with me back to Matthew chapter 5. Let's see what Jesus said about the subject. Let's start reading in verse 38. You have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's the way it was in the Old Testament. Forgive you. God will forgive you as you've forgiven others. If somebody does you something, uh, do, done you wrong, you have a right to do th- the same thing to them or something of equal harm to them. You have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That came from the law of Moses. That's where he's saying you heard this from. But I say unto you, verse 39, that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And in, if any man will sue thee at the law, Take away, and take away thy coat, let him have your cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain or two. Give to him that asks thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not away. I couldn't stand those scriptures as a kid. Wait a minute. That's so wrong. That's so unfair. As I got older, I realized, wait a minute. When these people wanted to stone Jesus, he didn't turn the other cheek. He walked through the middle of them. When they wanted to throw him off the brow of the cliff, he didn't stop and say, Okay, have your way in love. No, he walked through the middle of them. He questioned them. Wait a minute. How is Jesus telling us to do stuff that he didn't seem to follow through on his his own? How is that possible? Folks, look at the context that he says. Notice the next thing that he speaks of. This is the context. Verse 43, you have heard it It has been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be children of your father. What's he saying? He's saying here's how to handle your enemies. Here's how to handle your enemies. He's specifically saying, don't resist evil when it's being done to you. Why? Because he's trying to get us to operate in the very simple principle that, that, that underlies all of forgiveness, and that is vengeance is the Lord's. God will repay. You know what happens when you forgive? You know what happens when you yield to people doing you wrong rather than standing up and trying to fight through it and all that kind of stuff? You know what happens? You relinquish your right to be judge in their situation. You're saying, okay, I'll receive whatever God has for me in this. Let God take care of it. God will see me through the end. I heard uh, Lester Sumrall preach something when I was first year I was at Raymond in 1980. Lester Sumrall preached a message. I don't even remember if it was the the subject of the message. But he said something during that that caught my attention. He made just a few statements about it that caught my attention and stuck with me for 35 years. He said, a man of faith always takes what's left. He said, Abraham, when uh, when the time came for Abraham and Lot, their, their flocks and herds had multiplied to such a degree that the land couldn't take them both, couldn't handle them both. He didn't say to Lot, all right, I'm the big dog here. I'll take what I want, and you can have what's left. In other words, uh, but in fact, he said just the opposite. He said, Lot, you take whatever you want, and I'll take what's left. Now, Lot didn't have the good sense to realize the whole reason he was blessed was because of Abraham. If Lot had had good sense, he would have said, listen, I will diminish and decrease my stuff to whatsoever degree I need to, whatever level I need to, so I can stick with you. I'm not leaving you. You're the reason that I'm blessed as it is. But he didn't. He looked out over the plain and he said, oh, I'll take the cities. Sodom and Gomorrah, good choice. But a man of faith takes what's left. Abraham was left with the desert and the wilderness. And God still blessed him there. Jesus is saying, "You don't have to worry about trying to hold yourself up and try to, ex, uh, you know, extend your rights and express your rights in the situation. God will take care of you. God's on your side. Don't worry about somebody taking advantage of you. God will see you through, no matter what happens." We uh, some of the problem that we had with the, the building program and and uh, the, the the lawsuits and all that kind of stuff. We lost a couple of million dollars on that thing, and I thought to myself at the time, "This is the end of life i mean that 's all the money in the world there there's just there 's no way for us to come through this there 's no way for us to to uh, to make it through this and survive and you know what folks we 're the only people in the whole group of everybody that 's involved that did survive why because if god 's on your side, he sees you through. You don't have to win the court case for God to make you, uh, you, cause you to come out on top. But see, I thought he did. I thought, oh, man, my faith has to has to be expressed and extended toward every one of these court situations. I've got to win. And when we started losing, it was like, dear God, what is going on now? Is my faith not working? Is this stuff I've been preaching not true? No, what's true is a man of faith will take what's left and God will make you come out on top anyway. You don't have to win every little thing. Everything doesn't have to go to your advantage and go your way for God to see you through. And that's what he's saying. He's saying don't resist evil. Don't try to fight against evil when things aren't going your way. When it looks like somebody's beating you down, that's okay. God will see you through. And here's how to handle your enemies. And it's your enemies that are going to be hitting you in the face. It's your enemies that are going to be taking your stuff. It's your enemies that are going to try to force you to do things you don't want to do. What do you do with those enemies? He says love them, pray for them. Bless them. That's the real sign of forgiveness. If you can pray for the people that have done you wrong, that's how you know you've really forgiven. If you can pray blessings upon the people that have done you wrong, that's how you know you've forgiven. But is there any place in here that Jesus said, forget it? Turn with with me over to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Notice what Jesus said to his disciples. These are the 12... And he commanded them to go into the cities before him. Notice in verse 16, he said, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, and for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. He said, But don't worry, I'll give you something to say when you're there. Now, why didn't Jesus say, Now, when you go into the cities, turn the other cheek. Why didn't he say, now remember, the law of love is you're to be a doormat every place you go. Why didn't he say that? No, he said, realize that you're going out into a world of evil people. That's why you're going to have to be harmless as doves. There's the love of God. Be harmless, but don't be stupid. Be wise. Know how they operate. Folks, if you steal money from me, I can forgive you for stealing, but it would be stupid for me to leave my money sitting around in front of you. Why? Here's the deal. If you come to me and you say, Pastor Mike, I took something from you and I was so wrong. I'm so sorry. I want to make it right. That reconciliation can be made. That acknowledgement of the wrongdoing can bring something that can be a strength for our relationship, your relationship with God and our relationship together. Right? Right? But if you steal something from me and never acknowledge it or act like it never happened or deny it or whatsoever, wouldn't I be a fool to put you in a position where you could do it again? But see, you've got so many Christians that are thinking this love that means forgive and forget so that they put themselves in the same situation over and over and over and over again. That's crazy. It's absolutely nuts. Look at Paul. Paul spoke of the Jews. Remember, the Jews were the ones that caused him all the problem in his ministry. They're the ones that are stirring up riots against him. Paul wrote to the to the, uh, to the Romans that if it were possible, I'd give up my salvation for the Jews to be saved, for all of Israel to be saved, right? What's he saying? He's saying, I know that these people are doing this out of ignorance. I know that they don't really know what they're doing. They're doing the same thing that I did. Paul did it himself. He spoke in uh, Acts chapter 26, and even told Timothy about it. He said, I did a lot of things that were contrary to the, to the law of, of God. I did a lot of things that were contrary to Jesus. I persecuted Christians. I, I caused them to blaspheme. I put so much pressure on them that I made them deny Jesus. Paul said he did that. He said, I put a lot of them in prison. He said, I beat some of them. I was responsible for the death of other Christians. But I did these things in ignorance. I thought I was doing things helping God out because I thought these Christians were contrary to or against the law of Moses, which was still in effect. I didn't know any better. Well, Paul understands that if somebody's doing something that they don't know any better about, they're worthy of forgiveness. That's why Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Paul said that the one thing that he did about his past was that he forgot it. One thing about walking in forgiveness is that as you let the love of God dominate you, it allows you to live in such a way that the things that happen to you seem like they happen to somebody else instead of you. Thanks for tuning in today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church.
0: This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb.
1: So faith begins where the will of God is known. God's Word reveals His will to you. And once you know His will, there is nothing that can stop you from receiving what God has for you. That is the number one problem, the number one objection that everybody has, no matter what the area is, healing or whatever. That is the number one objection that people have. They don't know if it's God's will for them. Well, how are we going to find out? The is in the Word. Join us
0: Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.